to be a Kaiser. Now I'm working down the street at the Tenneco Shell Met Refinery. Lower nine walls. Eight by your mama's. Seventeen Street Canal. Six packer. What's it mean we need lights too? Tree French breads. Two jacks recipe. For the crawfish they caught in Araby. <laughs> the 12 Yats of Christmas. Oh, come on now. This is Jeff Young, the Catholic Foodie at CatholicFoodie.com, and you're listening to episode 127 of the Catholic Foodie, Christmas in New Orleans. Well, folks, it is day 10, the 10th day of Christmas, down here in New Orleans, New Orleans, for those of us who are from around here. And uh, wow, you know, the the, the 10 lords of leaping, uh, refers to the Ten Commandments, and we've got lots of goodies today on the show. We're going to be talking about an old tradition in New Orleans. There's lots of traditions, of course, down here. New Orleans is a very Catholic, family-oriented uh, city, and we have lots of traditions, especially around the holidays, Christmas, Lent, Mardi Gras, all that good stuff. We're going to talk about that right here at the Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. And one of those traditions is something we call the Revillon, which uh, I guess the uh, the proper French pronunciation would be Revillon, but uh, it basically it, it means awakening. You know, basically it means awakening. And uh, I'm going to tell you a bit about that shortly in the show. I also have a guest today. I'm very excited about this. It's Susan Whalen. Now Susan and I have been following each other on Twitter for, I don't know, a couple of years now. She's down in New Orleans, and uh, she's just really active. I mean, I, I, I couldn't believe it when I, when I first came across her. Um, all of her tweets had to do with, like, food and, and beautiful, wonderful, gorgeous food, pictures, you know, and, and cocktails, beverages, all this wonderful stuff down in New Orleans. And I'm like, man, how come I've never met her before? <laughs> it's great. Anyway, I'm very happy to have her on the show today. Uh, very exciting for me, and uh, she'll she'll be with us just a little bit, just a little while longer in the show. But first, I want to thank our sponsors, DivineOffice.org. You know, if you've listened to the last couple of uh, episodes of The Catholic Foodie, I've talked about uh, a new app, right? A new app. Now, we all, you, you know, I know you know about DivineOffice.org, about the Divine Office app for the iPhone for the Mac, for Android, for and now for Kindle, too. I mean, it's like everywhere, right? The Nokia, I mean, it's all over the place. Divine Office. I love the Liturgy of the Hours. I've prayed the Liturgy of the Hours for years. It's a wonderful thing. And uh, talk about growing in prayer, in depth. Uh, just it, it's, a, it's a beautiful uh, tradition in our church, right? It, it, it actually stems from our Jewish roots, the uh, making time itself, right? The hours holy by prayer. And it's also a way to pray always as St. Paul instructs instructs us. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's been, a, a, of course, a monastic tradition for centuries and centuries. But we are all called, and Vatican II reminds us of that, we're all called to be holy. We're all called, we all have a vocation, we all are called to pray, and the Liturgy of the Hours is a wonderful way to do that. DivineOffice.org has made it very easy to pray. Um, you can go to the website, DivineOffice.org. They've got uh, the Liturgy of the Hours in audio format right there on the website. You can access it right there. 
But if you have an iPhone, if you have an iPod Touch, if you have a Nokia, if you have uh, an Android, if you have a Kindle, if you have, I mean, goodness, it's just, it's amazing. They're all over the place, you know. If you have any of those devices, an iPad even, you can access the Liturgy of the Hours in audio format and text format right there on your device. Super, super easy to pray. Wonderful stuff. It is a fantastic Catholic ministry, and I'm very thankful to DivineOffice.org for sponsoring the Catholic Foodie. Now, I mentioned last episode that there is a new app developed by the same folks called the Catholicpedia. Now, this is the Catholic Encyclopedia from way back in 1917. Now, this is a huge omnibus. It's a huge work, and it's all right there in the palm of your hand in your iPhone. Uh, it, it, it's just it's, it's amazing. Anyway, I've got good news for you today. I'm looking for voice feedback. I haven't heard from people in a while, and I want some voice feedback uh, just really answering the question, where, where, where does food meet faith in your life? And we're, you know, that's what the Catholic food is all about. It's about where food meets faith. And uh, as Catholics, we experience that, I think, almost innately. It's just sort, sort of like part of who we are. I mean, especially if you think about the Eucharist, food meets a faith in our lives. But I'm looking for practical examples from you uh, about where food meets faith in your life personally. And I mean, especially the holiday times, it's 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 very much apparent. Uh, Christmas, of course, uh, we have the Epiphany coming up in just a few days, and then in just a few months, not even in less than a few months, it seems, a couple of months, we've got uh, Mardi Gras. And then Ash Wednesday, we go into Lent. I mean, there's just so much going on. Where does food meet faith in your life? That's what I want to know. And as a reward, if you <laughs> if you uh, submit some voice feedback by calling the feedback line at 985-635-4974 and leaving me a message about uh, where food meets faith in your life, your name will go into the hat to win uh, an app. You can win a, a Divine Office uh, app or a um, Catholicpedia app, right, from the iTunes store. So give me a call, 985-635-4974, and let me know where food meets faith in your life. But in the meantime, or even after you leave the message, go ahead and go over to divineoffice.org and check out all the good goodies they've got over there. Lots of good stuff. So thanks again to DivineOffice.org for sponsoring the Catholic Foodie. And uh, don't forget, call me. Let me know where food meets faith in your life. 985-635-4974. When you come to my house and I cook for you. Okay. Oh, yeah, that might be a problem. What's the problem? I'm the best cook in the family, tell you. Oh, I did, didn't I? Twice. Okay, then. (laughs) Um, It's just... uh, yeah. Ian is a vegetarian. He doesn't eat meat. He don't eat no meat? No, he doesn't eat meat. What do you mean he don't eat no meat? Oh, that's okay. That's okay. I make lamb. <laughs> I love that. I love that show, uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. And you know what? It, it's uh, it's kind of, I guess, appropriate. Uh, we, we really... Um, we really resonate with that movie because it's all about big families and uh, I guess kind of quirkiness in families. And 
also uh, just cultural aspects of families. And, uh, you know, you, of course, know that uh, my wife, Char, her family is Lebanese. And so there's a lot of similarities between the Greek and Lebanese cultures. But, you know, big family, big feasts, big fun, that's all really uh, our experience of, of family. And it's also a Catholic thing, I think. You know, I mean, the big, my big fat Greek wedding was all about the Greek Orthodox Church, you know, which is um, a very, very close sister church to us in the West and the in Roman Catholicism. Of course, the split was back in I think it was 1052 A.D. was the the final split between East and West. But uh, but there's a we share the same sacraments uh, theologically. There's very little that separates us, and also uh, more than just sacramentally, but even uh, I, I guess in a, the the worldview, the approach to to life is so very similar. So it's almost kind of like a Catholic thing too, you know? Anyway, <laughs> I chose that bumper just because uh, it's all about big fun and big productions and big family. And guess what, folks? We just finished celebrating the big season of Advent, and now we are in the Christmas season. That's right. Today is the 10th day of Christmas. Uh, we don't do anything small in the Catholic Church, it seems. Uh, you know, we had we had Advent four weeks leading up to as we you know prepare for the coming of the Savior. We we prepare for all that time, waiting in expect expectant hope for His arrival, for our salvation. He arrives on Christmas Day, and the Church celebrates what's known as the Octave of Christmas, eight full days of liturgical celebrations. That really, it's like every single day liturgically is Christmas Day. One day is not enough, and of course, this brings from the mindset of, of the, in the Old Testament, right, from the, the Jewish tradition of these prolonged feasts, is this, this celebration, this time of, of rejoicing. So we have the octave of Christmas, but the season of Christmas is 12 days long. And today is day 10. So if you have put up your Christmas decorations already, shame on you. <laughs> you know, we, uh, I think it's a Catholic thing, but also a cultural thing down here in New Orleans. I'm not saying that everybody's like this, but you know, the celebration is still going on. We still have a lot of celebrating going on down here. And uh, especially in our family, we try to hold on to this. We want to celebrate and to really enter into these seasons. And of course, uh, the 10th day of Christmas, I mean, to be honest, the celebration has kind of died down a little bit over here, you know, in our own family. Uh, we're kind of taking a break. It's almost like a break from the the, the parties. Uh, we had a, a lot of parties. I'm going to tell you about a few of them in just a few minutes. We had a lot of parties leading up uh, to Christmas and then following Christmas. Uh, so it's almost like we're in a, it's the 10th day of Christmas, true, but we're kind of in a downtime right now, <laughs> uh, trying to recuperate, but we're going to kick that back up a notch or two in just a couple of days because, you know, traditionally the Christmas season ends on January 6th. Some refer to that as 12th night. Uh, we refer to that, well, it is the, the feast, the solemnity, the celebration of the Epiphany, which was the manifestation of the Christ child to the Gentiles, right? The three kings come to worship, pay homage to Jesus, uh, the Savior of the world. And But we, we celebrate that down here in Louisiana, South Louisiana, as King's Day, right? And, uh, of course, that kicks off for us the Mardi Gras season. So, you know, here we are, day 10 of the Christmas season. We're taking a little pause, <laughs> <laughs> because in just a few days, it's going to start all over again with a whole new season, which we refer to down here as the Mardi Gras season. But before we talk about any of that, uh, I do want to recount for you a couple of the great times that we had, the great feasts, the great meals that we had together 
during this Christmas season. And actually for us, as I mentioned, it started a little bit early this year for two reasons. My sister and her family, her husband and son, uh, they, they live in Colorado. They came into town. They were in town for about a week, and they had a big get-together a couple of days before Christmas. So, you know, we kind of started Christmas a little early this year. Uh, as a matter of fact, the day before before that, uh, we got together with uh, Char's godmother and her family, and all the, it's kind of funny, you know, we had two Christmas Eves is what it seems like. Uh, this was, I guess, the 22nd. We had, uh, we all gathered together. It was Char's family, Char's parents, her brother and his family, and uh, and, and also Char's, uh, it was at her Nanan's house. You know, Nanan is a term that we use down here for godmother. It was at her house with her family, and uh, we had a, a huge feast. We, we grilled oysters. Uh, we had short ribs. I mean, it was just uh, it was just beautiful. The food was gorgeous. Uh, lots of good wine and good champagne. But in addition to that, it was just really great to get together. I mean, we all, all of us, this, the whole family like that, really hasn't been together uh, probably since last year. So it was really nice to get together. The, the funny thing about it is we all got together again two days later, this time at my brother-in-law's house. <laughs> so and I'll tell you about that feast. That's a special thing we're going to talk about shortly because he prepared for the second or third year in a row now something called the Feast of the Seven Fishes, and I'll tell you all about that shortly. Uh, he varies it up every year, and it's uh, it's just a, it's a lot of fun. But uh, so, you know, we had those two celebrations, uh, the 22nd, I believe, and then also on the 24th, and right there in the middle was when my sister was in town and had her get-together, and uh, so we, we started early this year. What can I say? You know, it was a good cause to start a little bit early. So let me tell you a little bit now about this Feast of the Seven Fishes. Have you ever heard about that? Do you know what that is? You know, I talked about it uh, last year. My brother-in-law did this, and I think I talked about that on the episode. I don't know offhand what uh, what number episode that was, but I will put a link in the show notes over at catholicfoodie.com if you want to take a look at the pictures from last year and maybe hear what uh, what we had to to eat then. But let me tell you, I you know, there's a lot that I could say personally about the Feast of the Seven Fishes, but I'm not really Italian, okay? So I'm going to bring someone Italian on here to tell you just a little bit about it, and uh, you may be familiar with this guy. His name is Mario Batali. You ever heard of him? Pretty pretty neat uh, Italian chef, pretty well-known. You may have heard of him before. Let's listen to, to his explanation of the Feast of the Seven Fishes. My memories of the Feast of the Seven Fishes rarely involved seven dishes. It was one or two dishes that stuck out in my mind that I remember my grandmother making. Grandma used to make a bacala a la Vesuviana with tomato sauce, capers, and chilies, but serve it over baked polenta. But the smell of the bacala, wherever she got it, wasn't right. There was something that was wrong about the fragrance of the dish, but you could tell that she'd been making it because the house didn't smell delightful. It smelled a little odd. And then you ate it and you realized it was worth it. She also used to make potato gnocchi with some kind of a crab sauce. And that dish was the one that we grew up on the West Coast, and for us, the idea of lobster is intriguing for about two times a year. But I could eat Dungeness crab every day of my life. And having a pasta dish on Christmas Eve with that was really remarkable. I've had the Feast of the Seven Fishes, the Feast of the Nine Fishes, the Feast of the Eleven Fishes, and the Feast of the Thirteen Fishes 
in Italy, and it depends on who you're talking to, whether it's the number of sacraments, the number of saints, the number of winners of the last Grand Prix. You know, it's really hard to figure out how they figure out and why they do it. But I've had it in Naples, I've had it in Rome, I've had it in Bologna, and I've had it in Liguria. And each one is radically different, as is all of the cooking. It's all very geo-specific, and more importantly, it's all about the cook, the nona who happens to be making it. But it has been delicious on every single occasion, and Christmas Eve is one of my favorite days of the year. Isn't that great? Uh, so that's kind of a, a general uh, explanation, I guess, of the Visa Seven Fishes. And uh, it's a Catholic thing. It's an Italian thing. And, you know, as he mentions, Mario mentions that uh, we don't exactly agree on where it came from. However, if you look back in the history of the church, you'd realize that, uh, you know, we, we used to have some pretty strict uh, rules about fasting and abstinence. Um, used to be, you know, like during Lent and, and, and Advent and on the eve of uh, certain holy days like Christmas, uh, we would not eat meat or uh, have milk products. And that's kind of, I think, where the, the tradition comes from of serving, of serving fish. And so on Christmas Eve, the tradition was to eat seafood, to eat uh, – it, it is a feast. It is a celebration, and so you're going to have lots of seafood, right, seven dishes or whatever, you know, nine, 13, whatever it may be. But, um, you know, and, and again, as he mentions, some – believe that uh, the seven comes from or is kind of linked to the fact that we have seven sacraments, et cetera, et cetera. So that part of it, we don't really know about. But it's interesting because, you know, the, the history of the church has left us with lots of traditions, I mean, like cultural tra- traditions, that, uh, that, that, that are still going on today. We still celebrate these traditions today, even though the original reason for those traditions are no longer around. And we're going to talk about another one of those shortly called Revillon, all right? Down here in New Orleans, we have something called a Revillon dinner, and uh, which comes from the French, Revillon, and I'll, I'll tell you more about that shortly, but same thing right here with the Feast of the Seven Fishes. This was a traditional, cultural um, living out or celebration, a meal that was based on practices in the church at a certain time in the past. Uh, and, and you'll see that even though today, we don't uh, the, the the strictures against um, abstinence on Christmas Eve. They're they're no longer there. So in a way, there's no real reason to have nothing but seafood. However, it kind of caught on. You know, culturally, it caught on, and it's it's fun and it's it's delicious. And hey, why not? <laughs> and you find a lot of those kind of traditions down here in New Orleans too, because um, just some, some of these things kind of stuck with us for so long and. After Vatican II and the changes in the liturgy and the changes also in some of the um, – I mean, not just the, the changes in the liturgy, but think about it. I mean, we used to – there used to be no such thing as a vigil mass, right? Uh, we had midnight mass, but there was no vigil mass. And so the vigil was reinstated uh, right around the time of, of Vatican II. And so that changed a lot as far as these big feast days go, like Christmas Eve. And we'll talk more about that Shortly, but isn't that something? That is just a, it's a, it's kind of wild when you think about where these things come from. So anyway, in our family, we did have a huge feast of the seven fishes, as I mentioned. My brother-in-law Norman, he's done this uh, in the last couple of years, two or three years now in a row. And uh, let me tell you a little bit. Let me let me read to you the menu. He actually printed up a menu for uh, this celebration on Christmas Eve, feast of the seven fishes. Now. 
he did this in three courses with uh, some sweets, a dessert uh, at the end there. Now, the primo, right, the first the first serving, the primo was a cool shrimp salad with orzo. And I tell you what, <laughs> I'm going to confess to you right now. Um, I didn't get to enjoy everything, that meal, and here's why. I love shrimp, and those shrimp were so good, I simply had too many of them. <laughs> I was too full to enjoy everything else. Now, I did taste a little bit of everything, but boy, I tell you what, it was just all so good. I wish I either had a bigger stomach or just more time to sit down at that meal and enjoy things, or really, I should have put the brakes on the shrimp. They were just so good. But cool shrimp salad with orzo, delicious. He had roasted vegetables. He also had a fig and pine nut stuffed, or he had fig and pine nut stuffed calamari, which calamari is not my favorite, but you talk about good. This was delicious. Uh, for the secundi, or the second serving, you had oyster mosca, which is a famous famous dish down here. Uh, we had flounder with clams and a citronella and a citronelle and saffron sauce. And then crab meat, herb salt, angel hair pasta. It was ridiculous. That 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 crab meat pasta was insane. It was <laughs> just so good. Uh, and then finally, the the last, the big, you know, um, I guess you'd say the the big. Uh, <laughs> it seemed big. The platters were huge. The the terzo, right? The the third serving. You had seafood, involtini with red sauce, and then a mustard seed crust. Uh, a mustard seed crushed salmon with beet vinaigrette. It was good. If you want to see pictures, I did post them over at uh, on the Facebook page, the Catholic Foodie Facebook page at facebook.com slash catholicfoodie. Uh, you can also find them in the, this post, this the, the post for this episode right here over at catholicfoodie.com. So go check out those pictures. They were, oh my goodness, it was just insane. And also I'll put a link to last year's menu and some of the pictures from last year's um, Feast of the Seven Fishes for you to check out as well. And in a moment, we're going to come back and we are going to talk about this French New Orleans tradition, uh, Revillon. And I also have a guest coming on the show, Susan Whalen. So stay right here. We'll be back in just a moment. Christmas New Orleans style is a great opportunity to enjoy some of the traditions of holidays past. And one delicious old Creole tradition is the Revillon dinner. Dozens of restaurants around the city offer their own prefixed four-course meal, and we came to Muriel's in Jackson Square to check things out. And everything in Louisiana tends to be focused around food, and we, it's that whole environment where you just get together and you spend time with family, enjoying their company, and enjoying great food. So that's what we're trying to recreate here. Today's dish, I'm using a little bit of grilled mahi-mahi, and I did a uh, shrimp risotto. We did a lamb asabuco with a goat cheese polenta. Uh, the next one, we call it a bayou base. I guess it's a cross between a uh, bouillabaisse and a, a cubion. My joy is making people happy when they come here to eat. That's what it's all about. That's my reward, and my joy at Christmas time is making people happy. In New Orleans, we celebrate with food and drinks, and there's no better time of year to do that than during the holidays. I'm Flirty Girl, and that wraps up another edition of Go NOLA TV, and we'll see you next time, darling. Revillon, or Revillon? Uh, what is that? Revillon. Well, you know, there's a there's a book. I think I've talked about this book um, earlier this year, or last year now. I mean, we're now in, in 2012, but... Right around Mardi Gras, I came across a book, and I, I thought it was just awesome. It's written by a guy down here in New Orleans. It's called The Joy of Yat Catholicism. Now, uh, you have to understand where you know what Yat is all about. 
the yats. We call people down here yats because they'll walk around the street and say, hey, uh, where you at? You know, where you at? Meaning basically, how are you? What's going on? Good to see you, whatever. But it's, you know, where you at? <laughs> I mean, if you if you took it literally, you'd say, well, I'm, I'm right here. You know, I'm, I'm just right here. You know, where you at? <laughs> so anyway, uh, the joy of yat Catholicism, because down here, there really is a very strong cultural Catholic um, mindset. You know, even even the Protestants down here uh, abstain from meat on Friday, <laughs> you know. It's kind of a strange thing. It doesn't really make sense logically, uh, but it, it's something that's just cultural. It's part of the tradition. It's part of the culture. It's just been part of our history. And so we have weird kind of things down here like that, you know, Protestants fasting from or, or abstaining from meat on, on Fridays in Lent. What, what's that all about? So anyway, uh, this this book, The Joy of Yak Catholicism, also talks about many of the major feast days in uh, during the year. You know, feast days of the Catholic Church. And one of the things it talks about is Christmas, of course, and this Revion um, tradition that we have down here. Let me read this to you. I want to tell you a little bit about what Revion is all about. You know, it says that uh, a yet Christmas is uh, not very different from Christmas celebrations elsewhere in the Deep South. They may attend a midnight mass wearing a nice new sweater, even though the air conditioner has to be turned on in the church. <laughs> They observe Christmas with trees and turkey dinner with oyster dressing. You know, there is, however, at least one practice of Christmas observance that is unique to New Orleans. As with virtually every other celebration in New Orleans, sacred or profane, food is the focus. You know, in the, uh, in the 19th century, long before evening masses were authorized on Christmas Eve, when the church rules required that anyone who wanted to receive Holy Communion at Mass had to be fasting completely from the preceding midnight— Christmas Midnight Mass was then a big, a big event indeed because the rule said that fasting from midnight, right? The rule said fasting from midnight <laughs> and Mass started at midnight. Revelers could eat and drink at parties practically up to Mass time. So Midnight Mass was usually uh, what was then designated a solemn high Mass, meaning there was a lot of singing and incense and it lasted well into the early morning hours. And by the time midnight mass was over, yats were hungry again. There was no need to go to bed hungry just to wake up and prepare a big Christmas dinner during the day. For the 19th century French Creole Catholics, forerunners of today's yat Catholics, midnight mass and eating were always a family event with big extended families taking part. The early morning feast following midnight mass came to be called Réveillon, which derives from the French verb uh, réveiller, meaning to wake up. The English military term Reveille is of the same origin. So Revillon was a feast indeed. It usually included uh, uh, dog glacé, which is a jellied beef brisket seasoned with bay leaf, clove, and pepper, raw oysters, pastries filled with jelly and laced with brandy and liqueurs, eggnog, and champagne. It was often for dessert a uh, bouche de Noël, uh, a cake in the shape of a Yule log, and uh, by the time Revillon was over, the dawn of Christmas Day had arrived, and the family could go to sleep it off after a hearty round of Joy Noël to everyone. The celebration of Christmas with a family Revillon at home slowly died out, especially after the church rules on times of Mass and fasting before Holy Communion were relaxed. Many yats attend Mass on Christmas Eve in the late afternoon. Some churches no longer schedule Midnight Mass, 
as attendance dwindled because of other options. However, many New Orleans restaurants have revived the name, if not the specifics, by developing special menus to be served during the Christmas season. A family can go to a fine restaurant in the evening, during the holidays, and enjoy a Revion dinner without having to wait until 2 o'clock in the morning on Christmas. <laughs> Besides, there aren't any dishes to clean. So Revion is one of those cultural, Catholic cultural traditions that we have that logically today really makes no sense because things have changed. You know, we don't have midnight mass, but we don't have uh, the, 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 the rules about fasting the way we used to. And also, you know, midnight mass isn't the only show in town anymore. You know, we've got in our parish, I think the vigils, one of the vigils is at like four and the other one, we have another one, I think later on in the evening. I mean, that's, um, it's just very different. There are more options. So the Revion dinner, the Revion tradition of of going to midnight mass and coming home and having a big feast early in the morning because, you know, you had to fast before mass, um, it doesn't make any sense anymore. But we like the thought behind it down here. We like the, the, the idea behind it. And so restaurants, probably more for uh, uh, the, 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 the desire of profit more than trying to maintain a tradition, they came together a number of years ago and they revived this whole concept. And it started actually early in the Advent season in December, not just uh, the Christmas season. So it's really kind of out of context. <laughs> but what they have done they have really held on to a lot of the traditional dishes that they would serve. And uh, I'm going to bring a guest on the show right now, Susan Whalen. I talked about her earlier on in, uh, in the episode, and uh, she's going to introduce herself too when I bring her on. And she's going to talk to us about Christmas in New Orleans, her experience of Christmas in New Orleans, and especially the Revion dinners. Well, I'm very excited. Today we have Susan Whalen with us, also known as Nola Maven on Twitter. Susan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Now, you know, Susan, you, you I've, I know you because we have been Twitter pals for, for quite a while now. And, uh, I mean, of course, I was attracted to you immediately when I saw two things about you. First of all, Nola Maven, because Nola, as, as we down here know, refers to New Orleans, Louisiana. So Correct. Nola Maven, and then secondly, you always have these beautiful pictures of food and cocktails and just, oh, it makes me hungry every time I'm looking at your Twitter feed. So, so for those who, who may not know you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, let's see. I did not grow up here, but I moved to Slidell when I was in high school. I moved away for a little while for college and after college, and then I've lived here ever since and I've lived in New Orleans ever since I've moved back. Um, I definitely love food and wine and cocktails. I have worked with Nalfi, um, helping them with their social media as well as interning for them. I volunteer for Tales of the Cocktail. Um, I'm a voracious eater. <laughs> I love to dine out. <laughs> I do occasionally cook as well. Um, but like many New Orleanians, food is a passion. Absolutely. It's, it seems like everything down here revolves around food. I mean, even these great celebrations, I mean, we're right here in the middle 
right now of the Christmas season. Uh, I know most most folks in uh, America, in the United States, uh, for them, Christmas ends on Christmas Day. You know, Christmas Day is here. It's over. Boom. But we, I mean, it really is. It's, it's a Christmas season, and we've got the twelve days of Christmas, and uh, lots of real, you know, lots of traditions here in um, in the New Orleans area and South Louisiana around Christmas, and they all revolve around food, really. Right, definitely. Um, one of those traditions is Revion dinners, and um, Revion really has been. Um, brought back in popularity here in New Orleans, sort of through a marketing campaign, but it's a very fun marketing campaign. You can usually find the menus if you go to the um, fqfi.org, which is the French Quarter Festival website, Um, but they have Christmas New Orleans style, and many restaurants submit their Revion menus. It's usually a three or four or five course menu ranges anywhere from probably $40. And the most expensive ones are Commander's Palace and Restaurant August. And those are um, $90 and $95. So most of them are um, anywhere from probably upper 30s to um, that range. Um, But, you know, many are more affordable than those other two that I named. Right, right. Um, and they usually do, it's it's very fun for me just to look at the menus. Um, it, it gives the chefs a chance to make things that are more seasonal, that may not be traditional New Orleans food, um, but more traditional for Christmas. Um, there's often game or duck or richer dishes with foie gras or... Um, you know, special beef dishes that they don't normally make or, um, you know, there's always a fish choice. Um, usually you have choices per course. Um, I've been to several and they've been, um, the menus have been different. I think my favorite um, was a few years ago at Upper Line. They had a huge menu with a lot of choices and we had a big group and that's really the best way because I think um, part of the challenge of Revion is getting your friends to agree which dinner to go to <laughs> because <laughs> right. there's so many good choices. But um, that was really a, a great success for us. It was a very nice menu. It had a lot of courses. It was reasonably priced and um, it had a lot of choices. So I think everyone was happy with that. It was just a fun way to get together with friends or big family and go out to a nice dinner during the Christmas season. And some of the Revion menus extend all the way through New Year's Day. And you can usually do a search on the website to find out which one, which places are open on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. And they usually, they, do they start like uh, during the Advent season um, or do they wait till Christmas before they actually kick off the Revion? Um, they start early in December. Early in December, okay. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing, you know, when you think about the tradition and what it used to be, and then now now what it is today. I mean, it's wonderful that we we hold on to that, you know, we definitely hold on to those traditions down here. And of course, you know, Christmas in New Orleans is more than just Revion. I mean, there's so many other things that are that are available. I mean, I'm thinking of like Christmas in the Oaks, which actually a while back I think they changed the name to Celebration in the Oaks. And um, just a beautiful, we, we used to go every year. We haven't been in a few years. Um, I, I guess some of that is just 
with the kids get our kids getting older, it's just there's so much more to do. <laughs> right. And, well, there's uh, so many choices in New Orleans. It's hard to do everything. <laughs> is there another? Do you have like another besides Revion? Is there something that just like makes Christmas for you in New Orleans? Um, for me, it's caroling in Jackson Square, which happens the Sunday before Christmas every year. Um, this year, they had about eight thousand people. Um, it starts at seven p.m. So for my group of friends, we've been doing this. I've probably been most of the years of the last 10 years, but um, since Katrina, we've definitely been every year and we usually go to Molly's on the market mm-hmm. and get hot buttered rum before. Ooh. <laughs> um, unless they run out of butter and then we get Irish coffee. But <laughs> it's one of my favorite traditions. I mean, I love Caroling in Jackson Square. It's a great community event. It really makes you feel part of the city, and it really makes you um, put you in the Christmas spirit, I think. It's, mm-hmm. it's really fun. Um, it's good for the whole family. It only lasts about an hour, so it's not a late night, you know, even though it's on a Sunday. But, um, you know, I love that tradition, but I also love the getting together beforehand and having a few hot buttered rum or other warm drinks. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and I like hot buttered rum so much I learned to make it. <laughs> oh, really? That's awesome. Yes. I um, I have a, a cookbook that I got actually at Restoration Hardware. It's just called Christmas 101, and it's a great basic cookbook, but it's mm-hmm. really simple to make. You um, prepare the butter mixture using a stick of butter, and you add a half cup of brown sugar, a half, teaspoon of cinnamon, a quarter teaspoon of nutmeg, and you just mix that up. Um, Your butter should be at room temperature to make it easier to mix. And then when you're ready to prepare the drinks, you just use um, about a tablespoon or a tablespoon and a half of the butter mixture in a cup. You add, um, depending on your taste, anywhere from one to two ounces of rum. I usually, um, the recipe calls for 1.5. I probably use about two, um, but that's just me. (laughs) You can use um, any rum. The recipe recommends using dark rum, but I used on Q Crystal the last time I made it and it was um, wonderful, so it doesn't really matter. And then you just boil water and you, um, you have your butter mixture and your rum in a cup and then you add about three quarters of a cup of hot water, and then you stir it up to melt the the butter, and you have hot butter rum, wow. and it's quite tasty. That sounds delicious. <laughs> it's something that you know uh, New Year's Eve is coming up, and I hear rumor has it that it's going to be kind of chilly. So, that, oh, that would be nice. Be, yeah, then. that'd be uh, that'd be a nice drink. Yeah, <laughs> and I get that's one of the things too. I guess would be uh, is interesting down here at least. I mean, sometimes. Christmas comes along and it's freezing cold. I mean, what was it? Two, three years ago, we actually got snow. And then sometimes, like this year, it's what, 60s? Sometimes it's 80. <laughs> 70s. You it's, just uh, never know what, never what know. Christmas or New Year's weather you're going to get. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, that is fantastic. Thank you for sharing that recipe with us. That is, that's, uh, I, I, that's on my menu now for New Year's Eve. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> Well, it has been such a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much, and you know, thank you for all the thank you all the the, the tweets and uh, you know, kind of keeping people in, informed of all the good things down here in New Orleans. It's just such a, a wonderful place to be, so unique, and uh, you know, food is life down here. Yes, it is, and it's great to 
not only uh, enjoy it yourself, but to share it with everybody else. <laughs> Agreed. Thank you so much, Susan. All right. Thank you, Jeff. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you very much, Susan, for, again, for being on the show. I really appreciate you coming on and taking the time to uh, to share your insights into Christmas in New Orleans with us. And, uh, you know, if anybody wants to follow the NOLA Maven, just go to twitter.com slash NOLA Maven, and, uh, and you will find Susan. So thanks again, Susan. We have come to the end of another show, folks. I can't believe it. Here we are. We're kicking off 2012. And uh, the 10th day of Christmas, and we're coming to the end of the show. Before we close out, I do want to share with you um, a little clip from The Break with Father Roderick. Uh, The StarQuest Production Network, SQPN, is in the middle of its giving campaign. And uh, over the Christmas break, I I was listening to uh, The Break with Father Roderick, one of the uh, podcasts that I love, and I love listening to, uh, to The Break. And toward the end of that episode... He uh, talked about the giving campaign, and I loved what he had to say because he really kind of – he expressed it in such a way. He kind of communicated in such a way the importance of this giving campaign and what it means to SQPN. I want to have him share that message with you, so I'm taking a clip from that particular episode of The Break. So, Father Roderick, uh, take it away. This episode of The Break is sponsored by you. You are one of the sponsors. You are one of the people that make it possible that I can dedicate so much time to podcasting every week and that we can come up with new ideas to reach new audiences every every year. As you know, SQPN is a nonprofit organization, and we are in the middle of our Christmas uh, end-of-the-year fund drive slash giving campaign. And um, a, a number of our listeners are supporting us on a monthly basis, and you can do that by becoming a friend of SQPN. Now, what does that entail? It basically means that you go to SQPN and uh, sign up for a monthly donation. The, we, we've, we've got this... Um, page where you can sign up with PayPal. And what I like about PayPal is that it makes it really simple. You just sign up for whatever amount is feasible for you because we don't want you to get broke over this. But at the same time, we want to definitely uh, invite you to see what, what you can, what if you think that it's important what we do and you want us to continue, look into your heart and, and give what, what you can and what you feel called to. But once you set it up, you don't have to worry about it anymore. You know, PayPal just will make sure that we get uh, your donation every month. And um, all the little monthly subscribers help us a lot on a monthly basis to give us this kind of stable foundation for the work that we hope to do next year. Now, we've just reached the 33.3% mark. And uh, that is that is awesome. I'm, I'm very excited that... Uh, that we've reached one third of the amount that we uh, that we hope to raise for the next year, and that we really need. Um, this is not <laughs> we're not like just coming up with a a certain amount, like uh, winging it. We've been carefully planning, and and we're already this year. We've been extremely conservative when it comes to you know uh, turning every penny around twice before we spend it in order to maximize uh, the budget that we have and at the same time be you know good stewards of the support that we get from you. So if you want to support us, very simple. Just go to SQPN and become a friend of SQPN. 
set sign up for a monthly donation. If it's uh, a little or a lot, it's all welcome. The only thing that I hope is that every single one of you will do that. D don't leave it to others to bear the weight of of keeping us going. Pl do do whatever you can do. And you know, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I just hope that you're going to participate. Um, right now, only a few percent of our listeners are helping us out. So I can easily say that a lot more than 95% of the listeners um, are just enjoying our shows, uh, but they have not yet supported us. Uh, but we can only do that if you are also become one of these sponsors, uh, preferably on a monthly basis. But if you can only do a one-time donation, that, of course, is also very welcome. And then if you can't do anything at all, you know, pray for us. Help us with your feedback and your moral support. That too counts. But if, if, if possible, help us out by becoming a friend of SQPN. And in that way, we can have a great 2012 with even more podcasts and an even wider audience worldwide because we need each other to help point the way and lead the way to Christ. There you go. Thank you so much, Father Roderick. Really appreciate that. And I do encourage you, please do go to sqpn.com. In the right-hand uh, sidebar, there is a place where you can uh, you can donate. And uh, I'm a friend of SQPN. I certainly hope that you become a friend too. It's uh, vital to support Catholics who are uh, engaging in new media, who are trying to put good content out there on the interwebs. So uh, again, sqpn.com and, uh, and click Donate. Thank you. Also, I want to remind you as we close out right now, I want to remind you that I am looking for voice feedback, and you could possibly win one of two um, apps for your iPhone, either the Divine Office app or the Catholicpedia. So uh, give me a call at 985-635-4974, 985-635-4974, and leave me a message about where food meets faith in your life. Coming up in the next episode of The Catholic Foodie, we're going to be talking about the next big celebration down here, which is Epiphany, King's Day. That is coming up next episode. If you have any questions, by the way, about Mardi Gras or King's Day, Epiphany, any of these celebrations that uh, are such a big deal down here, please call those in, too. You can call me at 985-635-4974 or shoot me an email at jeff at catholicfoodie.com. Don't forget that I am on Twitter. Uh, the handle is Catholic Foodie, and also on Facebook, facebook.com slash Catholic Foodie. Google Plus as well. If you're on Google Plus, just search for The Catholic Foodie, and I will pop up. So until next time, bon appétit.